to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare Alley, the side street podcast from Nightmare on Film Street. I'm Kim. I'm John. And this week, we're talking to writer-director Stephen Kostansky of PG Psycho Goreman. You may remember Stephen Kostansky from Leprechaun Returns, The Void. He's got a segment in the ABCs of Death, which we actually talk about a little bit in this episode also. But his most recent film, PG, Psycho Goreman, is coming to select theaters and VOD January 22nd. This Friday, if you're listening to this podcast when it comes out. It's almost like we did that on purpose. Almost like we planned this. <laughs> I really like Psycho Goreman, and uh, I think you guys are going to love it, too. It's got a, such a cool 80s aesthetic, like 80s cartoon aesthetic. Oh, yeah, total. Uh, I might be Canadianing myself here, but uh. definite YTV early morning vibes, cereal, milk, toes on the floor. And blood and guts all over the walls. <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned YTV though, because uh, small disclaimer: it comes up later in the uh, later in the interview because we, the three of us, are all Canadians uh, who are familiar with Canadian television. If you're not, YTV is kind of like our teletune. Teletune, yeah. Is that Canadian Tele- also? Is that Canadian? Fuck, I don't know. Anyway, YTV is like a children's programming station in Canada that is where we all got our. It's the tales. reason why you have "Are You Afraid of the Dark?" Okay. You do you fucks. <laughs> Yeah, right. And I think Goosebumps, too. Goosebumps, That's all Are You Afraid Con. of the Dark, Canadian content We from like YTV. the spooks. <laughs> all the spooks are ours. And Reboot, if you ever watched Reboot. Some people did. It comes Reboot up occasionally. Reboot was a thing, yeah. yeah. And Power Rangers, of course, which is very Psycho Goreman. Yeah, anyway, if you're if, you, if you're only hearing about PG Psycho Goreman for the very first time, uh, it's a story about a brother and sister who unearth a fucking, like, otherworldly monster that has, like, the power to just fucking destroy the planet and obliterate everybody that he sees. That would be if this little girl Mimi didn't have the one gemstone that controlled him. Oh, my. It's a lot of fun. So, you know, it's just, it's it's absolutely hysterical. It's super gory and it's full of practical effects. I know you guys are absolutely going to love it. Um, it really is like a Saturday morning cartoon in absolutely all of the best ways and just has a wild comedic sensibility that is only topped by the visceral blood and guts that you see throughout this movie. This interview doesn't get too spoilery, so if you haven't seen the film, you can definitely listen to it before the film comes out. We do talk about some of the creature designs and monster effects and some of the plotting of the film, but nothing too spoilery, so you can definitely tune in ahead of time. But let's get into it. Let's let's throw you over to our interview with writer-director Stephen Kostansky. Uh, but beforehand, enjoy the trailer for PG Psycho Goreman. Many moons ago... A nameless evil was imprisoned in a place far beyond reach. Hurry up! If he were ever to be released, it would spell certain doom for all existence. Is that fear I smell? Your planet will be torn to pieces, and I will treat your angry screams as I rip 
Is this yours? B? Oh, my God. The gem of Paraxodite. Whoever wields it is able to command me. Go over there. And wait for us to come back in the morning. You will suffer an eternity for this. Bye! Mom, Dad, I want you to meet Psycho Gorman, or PG for short. I will bathe in your blood. Don't worry. Be worried. Slow down! He's gonna kill everybody, not unless I tell him to. What did you three maniacs get up to? Um, this is getting a little weird. Well, Steven, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, man. We're really excited to talk to you about Psycho Gore, man. Well, thank you very much for having me. Actually, well, one small clarification, I guess. PG, Psycho Gore. Yeah, like, (laughs) should I always be referring to it as PG, Psycho Gore, man? You can call it PG, Psycho Gore, man. You can call it Psycho Gore, man. You can call it PG. Just don't call it late for dinner. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Don't call me Shirley. (laughs) Was the PG tacked on at some point? Because I, I remember hearing about this movie like last year, like somebody at maybe, I don't know, Sundance or saw a screener or something was just like, oh, you got to check out this Psycho Gore Man movie. And then I, all of a sudden things got confusing for me when a PG got put onto it. No, T- PG was always a component, uh, like right from the earliest draft of the treatment, because the whole idea was to kind of give a reference to E.T. When I was coming up with the title, I mean, I'll just go dive right into the origins of the movie. Let's yeah. hear it. Um, I just finished uh, Leprechaun Returns and I was back in Toronto trying to recuperate from that experience. And I was just watching movies and I was watching Rawhead Rex for the first time. And as I was watching it, I was just kind of like riffing in my head on like where you could go with this concept of like an ancient evil being resurrected, like crawling out of the earth and like all the horrible stuff that creature would do. Um, But then like thinking of dumb things to pair that with (laughs) joke in my head so it was like pairing it with kids adventure movie tropes like and then i started thinking well like what if this evil thing teamed up with kids in like an et sort of scenario and there was so much at odds with like those two genres of upbeat kids adventure movie with you know some semblance of a moral at the end versus (laughs) crazy sci-fi horror fantasy monster movie that's just like apocalyptic and just violent and dark and just how those things just inherently didn't work together made it fun for me to think about. And so as I was coming up with that idea and just riffing on scenarios and things, I was trying to come up with a title, something that would like kind of have the vibe of Rawhead Rex, because like, I think back on titles like that, seeing them at the video store as a kid and it was like unsettling how goofy they were. Like it was such a dumb name that it bothered me. So I like I want something like I also like like I like the idea of titles that are so absurd 
that like a bunch of stuffy businessmen like in a boardroom like discussing distribution have to say it out loud (laughs) (laughs) execs uh discussing like so we need to talk about this psycho gourmet movie like that just made me laugh so that's amazing I, i like stuff like that and so as i was coming up with the name i was thinking like well et is so catchy and simple and it's memorable it's easy to remember and i want something with that vibe and that's when i realized like i don't think anyone's used like any of the ratings abbreviations for their titles and so i i thought like well if you did pg then it will forever be tied to that rating so like (laughs) somebody somebody, like looks up pg on google like there'll be stuff about pg rated movies and then a movie called psycho gorman (laughs) so that's really entertaining to me and so that's why i settled on that as the title for the film that's great i hope a bunch of like 12 year olds discover this movie that way they 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 google it and they find psycho gorman they're like must watch (laughs) yeah like they're like watching a kid's movie they're watching like i don't know home alone or something and then (laughs) one of their parents like oh this movie's rated pg and the kids like i'm gonna look up pg and then sends them down that dark spiral. <laughs> I feel like this is a great segue horror, though. I mean, apart from oh, all the yeah. gore and the violence, it's so reminiscent of, especially being Canadian, like YTVs, Sunday morning cartoons, like Power Rangers, got that whole vibe. It's, it's very much influenced by Saturday morning cartoons and Power Rangers, especially. But like, to just go bigger than Power Rangers, like just that whole style of TV and movies from Japan like super sentai shows because that was like a rabbit hole i went down on like as as i got older and my you know i was able to watch more intense stuff uh like discovering movies like mechanical violator hakaider and like things that are done in the same style as power rangers or at least the like original footage that they mined for power rangers are violent and dark and r-rated and so i just like i've always loved that style of filmmaking, that style of special effects, where it's just about like iconic looks and it has nothing to do with like, oh, what's like the most realistic looking thing we can make? It's just about like, what's the coolest thing we can make? Even if it's like the creature suits, like mouths don't move, it doesn't matter. (laughs) The monster man that's made entirely out of eyeballs. Like that's fun. (laughs) Make them fight. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Get them to do some high kicks. Like, so that definitely, that style influenced the movie a lot but to like continue to that point uh like growing up i had a lot of experiences watching movies and things that i thought would be in the power rangers vein like stuff that would i thought would be safe for kids to watch and every kid like everybody in the genre community has had this experience watching stuff where they're way too young to be watching it so I have very vivid memories of watching Terminator 2 as a kid. Oh, yeah. Uh, and while on the one hand being really excited by it and thinking that like all the chrome robots and lasers were super cool, I was also horrified when like guys' kneecaps got blown out. <laughs> <laughs> I remember like T-1000 throwing that guy out of the helicopter or the guy doesn't even throw him out of the helicopter. He just tells the guy, get out. Yes. And the guy jumps out of the helicopter. <laughs> Well, it's, it's after like, he like oozes into the helicopter too, right? Like the whole yeah. thing's freaky. But like just being confronted with that choice of like, do I risk co-piloting <laughs> with this liquid and or do I just basically jump to my death or at the barest minimum jump to my shattered legs for the rest of my life? <laughs> and so it kind of freaked me out. 
And it was hard to like reconcile the fun cartoony imagery of those kinds of movies with the brutal reality that was also happening. And so that was the thing I want to explore with this movie. I had already done it a little bit in my ABCs of Death segment, uh, W's for Wish, which is about two kids who get sucked into a He-Man type universe and realize like the brutal reality of that is not <laughs> always suggestive. And so it, it worked for that, just for that three and a half minute short. So I really wanted to do something similar to that and expand on that idea. And so that also factored into my uh, initial conception of PG. Uh, was like juxtaposing the like fun, upbeat YTV kids adventure with the dark, brutal reality of like a more hard edged sci fi fantasy horror. Yeah, no, you totally accomplish it with uh, with the Psycho Gore Man because like it is so funny and over the top, and then a half a second, like you think about it for a half a second, you're just like, oh, this guy's like encased in pain eternally. <laughs> like this is this like random person that he found. Like, yeah, it's like if an eight year old opened the um oh the Hellraiser box. Oh sure. The oh I can't remember the. I think it's just called the Hellraiser no, box. No, it's the lamentation. the lamentation. Yeah, the lamentation <laughs> configuration. You have to say it correctly, everyone. <laughs> But like, yeah, if if uh, if a kid unleashed Pinhead, like that's literally what we're watching. <laughs> yeah, well, but also that was yes, the initial idea of the movie was like, well, what if you pair kids with that? But then I realized as I was writing it to really make this idea work, your kids needed to be able to stand up to this ultimate evil that I'm presenting, and so I really wanted to steer away from the kids being like innocent, mm. you know, like I didn't want kind of wide eyed. Harry Potter's where it's like the plots of like happening around them and they're they have no agency so that was where the character of Mimi came from oh she's so great the best yeah she's awesome Nita really nailed it and like she is so much that character already (laughs) she didn't really it wasn't a big stretch for her to play Mimi um and she she proudly announces that um uh, yeah sorry I lost my train of thought but yeah, to have a character that stands up to PG, I started coming up with like a kid that was like a culmination of all the kids I know in my life that like younger cousins, like work friends, their kids, uh, because I've realized like what's interesting about kids is that they're in their own weird little world up until, you know, adolescence hits and they start developing self-doubt and uh, that kind of self-reflexivity that that leads to you like not being as confident with everything. Whereas when you're a little kid, the world is still like a wonderful fantasy land. It's like they build these fantasy worlds around themselves that are super fun and they have full confidence in it. Like they're totally confident as little, these tiny little people. And so I wanted that vibe with Mimi. She is entirely in her own weird world. She commands everyone that's around her because she's still in that kid zone of having total confidence and thinking that they know everything and kind of like bending the world to fit what they need it to be in the same way that PG does uh, being like this all powerful galactic overlord. I wanted to draw that parallel between PG and Mimi and always have there be like interplay between the two where you realize these similarities, even though they're like visually polar opposite characters. So once I figured out, that hook with the story, uh, everything really fell into place. 
with the rest of the movie because I realized like that relationship was the core of the movie and that's what made it so fun and made it easy to just throw in all these other random crazy sci-fi ideas as long as I always brought it back to their relationship. It's so true too because they're both alpha characters which is so interesting and and it's great too because she is she is not afraid of him at all and Every like crazy, insanely evil thing he says, she fi- she has like a <laughs> like a, a zinger right after, and it's so hilarious every single time. <laughs> yeah, well, I also I, I found a lot of humor, I think, in yes, having PG make all these epic sci-fi speeches. <laughs> that are ultimately, like ultimately, total nonsense, and to have a character that just did not give a shit about that. Even though Mimi is totally bonkers, like I felt like in that regard, she was the audience proxy of like, I don't care about the shit that you're saying. And it's a thing that as like a hardcore genre fan who growing up would obsess over all these details, I would constantly be confronted with that in real life where it's like, I remember all this minutia from Return of the Jedi, but you go out into the real world and you mention it and like the person you're talking to is like, yeah, anyways... let's talk about real life so i wanted to instill a little bit of that experience of being a genre fanatic growing up and feeling a little out of place i wanted to have that parallel with mimi and pg and pg being in this crazy fantasy universe with all these weird details that he like feels that he is the master of but when he's around these kids it's like it doesn't mean anything to them and ultimately like diminishes his power because it's like well people don't care like what does it really matter like if no if nobody's listening to you what does it matter all your like epic accomplishments of (laughs) ravaging the universe so i thought that was like a fun parallel uh between those characters to explore as well and led to a lot of good humor Oh, yeah, no, she totally just, like, wipes the floor with him whenever she has a chance. Like, they put him in, like, he looks like a tourist from Texas, or, like, a (laughs) a tourist visiting Texas. He's got khakis and a cowboy hat. Oh, it's so good. (laughs) Well, that was supposed to be a bit of a reference to uh, Dr. Grant, Sam Neill from Jurassic Park. Oh, no way! You're right, he looks exactly like him. Because I was trying to figure out, like, what is the look I can give this guy that would be the funniest? And, I mean, there were obvious routes to go. Like, in the montage, you see a bunch of different outfits. <laughs> but that one just seemed the dorkiest to me, like, and the most dated and, and weirdly specific, too, with the, like, red, like, neckerchief <laughs> yeah. he has. Aviators. So, yeah, it was, it was, like, a long road trying to figure out what that outfit would be. But I, I think I was watching clips from Jurassic Park or something, and I just saw that look, and I was like, this would be the most nonsensical <laughs> one to give him. Uh, and and a, a look that also, like, kind of sets the date of the movie, because I feel like it takes place mid-'90s somewhere. Because okay. we've got Jurassic Park references, and then we've also got... Uh, they're clearly playing N64 at one point. Uh, so... It's it's somewhere in the mid nineties. Even the fact that you have kids uh, hanging right. out in the backyard and yeah, playing in the backyard. That, that dates it. <laughs> yeah, groups of people crowded together not wearing masks. Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely t- it's it's a pre twenty twenty movie for sure. <laughs> 
the other thing, like you were talking about special effects a minute ago, and like the thing that surprised me so much about this movie is how much you kept topping yourself as we went. Like we, you know, we see the the planet that he's from and the the, the dignitaries that that you know sort of overrule everything. I'm like, okay, cool, we got a bunch of creature design there, we got Psycho Gorman, everything's fun. But then all of a sudden, we've got like his old gang shows up, and they're all amazing looking, and they fight. I didn't expect them to start punching each other. It had to be a blast, like making every one of these characters, because they, they they all seem like they have super Their long own individual backstories. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was a thing that I definitely wanted to have multiple times in this movie is that feeling of when you're watching Empire Strikes Back and uh, the bounty hunters come up, you know, and uh, just that vibe of each of them being their own unique personality and being like, I want to know what that guy's deal is, but they're, it cuts away so quickly that you don't even uh, have a chance to like get a sense of who they are. So I wanted to do that a bunch of times with this film was just like cut into the bigger universe occasionally and just show and reference things that will throw the audience off and like just raise questions without giving any hard answers and then just cut away and go back to something really mundane. I was trying, like in the editing, I was always trying to pair the craziest stuff with the most mundane stuff, like having the Paladin's Obsidian fight in the forest be followed immediately by Greg and Susan's fight. Uh, <laughs> like, I just find those juxtapositions really funny and entertaining. So I tried to do that as much as possible in the edit, is just pair the, like, epic fantasy with the mundane suburbia as much as possible just to show how both are completely absurd in their own ways oh you know you definitely don't lose that absurdity when it comes to suburban stuff like the 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 shot that i think about constantly is when when susan opens the microwave and it's just like full of disgusting food (laughs) it's because he made chicken for dinner (laughs) (laughs) yeah for my family (laughs) just like and like like i I was thinking about that when you're talking about pulling from like cartoons and and japanese uh tvs stuff because it seems so bonkers and out of place that i would only expect to see it at like 1 a.m on on teletoon well i'm i feel like i am instinctually influenced by the simpsons always like it's a show that i grew up on and i think that show leans into that absurdity and also playing into tropes and subverting tropes of that kind of family entertainment as much as possible and so i think those kinds of moments feel like Homer moments to me. <laughs> and they're always cases of like, there was never any debate or pushback from people of like, oh, that's not realistic. Like, I don't think that was ever said on the movie. <laughs> it was just like, well, what do? And that's why scenes escalate from just being like, oh, she's mad at him because he didn't clean up to she's mad at him because he like burnt the microwave. <laughs> and then his response is to like, start tearing up it's so absurd <laughs> that it's like i wanted to do it just because i feel like no other movie would do that would would have the confidence to like stick with something that stupid and so <laughs> i had to do that as much as possible because it's like you know i was I had such a perfect scenario with this movie where my financiers basically gave me the free reign to do whatever i wanted and so it allowed me the latitude to do that stuff like they're having worked on bigger productions where I have to answer to showrunners and a network and a studio. It's like after, after a while, like you have so many of those conversations debating this minutia 
that it like beats the creativity out of you and you don't even want to push for the crazy stuff anymore because you know the like 10 conversations you have to have mm. to even have it be considered and then it'll just get shut down anyway mm. so on this movie i just went nuts with everything because i was like i may never get this opportunity again so i'm just gonna make the most absurd thing possible and whether people like it or not they can at least agree that it's bonkers and <laughs> i'm happy with that that's still a good review to me is people just saying this movie's crazy there's not enough bonkers though especially like now 2020 like it's so hard to find new bonkers <laughs> Yeah, well, and this is another motivation for me making this movie is that I find genre cinema is very safe. And even when it's like intense, I still feel like it like fits into like slots into these boxes that I don't particularly like I like, but I wish there was variety. I guess I just really miss being a kid going to the video store, looking at a shelf of movies and just feeling like there is an entire universe worth of stuff at my disposal that I could pick the most insane movies off that shelf and things that like I couldn't even wrap my brain around and that they're all in one place that I could go. I one day I could be like, I'm going to watch Lethal Weapon 2 and then maybe I'm going to watch Phantasm 3. And then, <laughs> you know, just the idea that like all these things can be slammed together in one space and have that kind of creative spectrum. I think we're missing right now. I feel like when something succeeds, everybody makes that same thing and they yeah. just keep doing that. Yeah. And in genre cinema, especially, I feel like everything is so pared down and small feeling. Like I'm not seeing trailers for anything where I'm like, I feel like, oh, that's super ambitious. I got to mm. see this crazy thing. Yes. Like, and, and this is not to diminish the stuff that is out because lots of it is super awesome. I just feel like there's like a whole, like a whole of, genre cinema that i'm missing that i'm trying to fill with the stuff that i'm making because yeah i just don't think there's enough wacky crazy ambitious stuff out there like the kind of stuff that like empire pictures or full moon would do where it's like yeah maybe it's not the best made stuff but like i still love that i can watch a Doctor Strange knockoff called Doctor Mordred that has the stop motion dinosaur skeleton fight at the end. Like, there's just not enough like water cooler discussion stuff right now. Like, there's not stuff where I can go like, I watched this thing and this happened and it was crazy. Like on Monday morning, like when I go to the shop to work, that that used to be an integral part of growing up was like the movies you watched on the weekend and talking to your movie buddies about it and like everybody swapping stories and being a kid and like having your friends first tell you about Freddy Krueger, like that era of childhood where they didn't call them by the title of the movie. They would say, I just watched Freddy five and I watched Jason four. And it's like, I miss that excitement. And so I want to try and like bring a little bit of that back somehow by making a thing that get people talking and being like, did you see this wacko movie that like makes absolutely no sense? I just want that excitement back. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets 
if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Oh, you're definitely doing it, man. Because, like, movies now are are also not fun, and yours is really goddamn fun. <laughs> yeah, we definitely live yeah. in an era where if Evil Dead 3 came out today, it would not be Army of Darkness. <laughs> oh, that's a no. great point. <laughs> no, totally. Yeah, like, well, even just look at, like, the remake of Evil Dead. Like, I feel like that's trying to slot into what genre cinema, at least, I guess, in 2013, what it was. And... I feel like an Evil Dead movie should be like a bold display of somebody's insane vision and it should just be a roller coaster. So the idea that everybody wants to make like kind of like a brutal, dark, gritty horror movie and that fun has become become this like taboo. I have a lot of filmmaker friends who I feel like it's like you can talk about fun and immediately like their nose goes up and like, (laughs) oh, well, that's not interesting. It's always the conversation of like, what's interesting? And it's like, well, I also want to appeal to like my gut instinct of wanting fun and excitement. And that's like part of what cinema is supposed to be is like kind of appealing to your instinctual desire just for that like adrenaline rush. And I think there is a lot of art and like craftsmanship that goes into executing that. But I think fun has just been kind of like approximated with, I don't know, like throwaway kids entertainment or something. I don't know. Or just like stuff that just schlock that's disposable. And it's like, I'm kind of in the mindset now of like, well, I'm finding the dark, serious stuff disposable because it just feels like the same thing. Whereas a dark, serious, gritty horror movie will have more impact if I just watched a fun, light, like sci-fi movie, you know? If you're jumping tones more between your media, I think it has a little more resonance than if it's just like, it's all deadly serious, like Mm. a straight line across the board. So I guess just variety. I just want more variety. And I'm not seeing enough of stuff on the fun side of the spectrum. Yeah, it's like the food pyramid, right? Like you can't you can't eat pizza all day. You gotta have broccoli also, and like maybe something else. I don't know. Those are like the two things I eat. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah, movies are, movies are the same. Yeah, yeah. Like and to like be a counterpoint to that, like I would not want to watch a Psycho Gorman every day for the rest of my life. Sure, because yeah. you like you'd get to that too. And so yes, it's just having options. Having options and like poking at different parts of your brain with different things, I think, is the best way to enjoy media. I love uh, considering like media as like a, a back scratcher for your brain. <laughs> yeah, well, like 
no, that's what it should be. <laughs> like you want to, you want to think about it, you want to be engaged and you want to discuss it with people and you want it to be like a cultural thing and not just a, a tile on a streaming service where you like start watching it and then you get bored or you sit on your phone through the whole thing and yeah. you're not really watching it. It's, it's depressing that that's the direction everything is going. But like I say that, but there is lots of like really excellent stuff out there um, and lots of great artists and filmmakers making some really cool stuff that I love. It's just, I, fe- I feel like from the higher ups, the mandate is like, just keep making these same things. Yeah, and do just what keep works. Pumping it out. Yeah. yeah, do what we're guaranteed yeah. to get a return on. Yeah. Yeah, do what the algorithm tells you uh, <laughs> you should be making because that's like this thing got the most views on our you know streaming service that will remain nameless but starts with an n <laughs> <laughs> so how what was it like trying to sell psycho gorman or at least sell people on the idea of it because i mean everything that you're saying sounds it, like this is the wrong movie to try and pitch yeah well this is a movie i would never try to pitch it like a film market or anything i was just super lucky in that uh, a friend of mine had a friend who was interested in financing a movie. And so the two of them became the producers on the film, uh, Stuart and Jesse. And they basically like facilitated the making of this movie through just independent equity. There was no hoops to jump through. It's not like telefilm or anything was involved. Telefilm obviously would not be into something like this. <laughs> no. Yeah, it really was like a once in a lifetime opportunity to make the thing that I actually wanted to make. And I didn't feel like I had to distill it into something palatable. Though I've discovered that like just through the making of the movie and talking to people who watched it, it's like everybody seems to connect so much with the themes and ideas on display in the movie that, you know, it's crazy to me that a movie like this could have such a good response already. And yet if I had tried to pitch this properly and like had sit downs with other avenues of, of financing or getting tax credits or things like this movie never would have existed. So it's, it's a good testament to how wonky our system is for getting stuff made in that like movies that people like would have so much trouble getting financing and have to be financed by just some very generous folks who just, who wanted to make a movie. Yeah, and, like, you can really see what type of movie it would have been if you had to go through all those hoops. Like, specifically, I'm trying to think about how I was describing it to Kim here before we sat down to watch it, because I don't think you'd heard anything about it before. No, I went into it completely blind, which was super great. And I, I <laughs> oh, knew I knew that if, if I just sort of revealed, like, the little bit of the synopsis that I had already read, that you would see it as a sort of superhero movie and you wouldn't have cared. Yeah, like, Power Rangers is totally my bag. Like, the, the Sunday morning ca- cartoon thing is totally my bag but the more like fantasy sci-fi stuff i'm is normally not something i would be like "Ooh, let's put this on well that and i think it tips into like almost superhero style type movie making that you'd see now like oh a little girl unleashes this like alien force that's so powerful it's just like that almost sounds like a hard pass like unless you know that it's gonna be full of blood and guts and, and laughs yeah but if somebody was like this is the gate meets power rangers i'd be oh, like yes please yes. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a way better pitch. But I do get what you're saying that like on paper, it looks like it could easily slot into a Marvel formula of movie. Yeah. And then you know exactly what you would get out of that. Yes. Um, So, I mean, I wish I had money for like a blue sky beam at the end because I feel (laughs) like that's a thing that 
movie has to have <laughs> nowadays, but thankfully we couldn't afford that. Um, but yeah, it's, I imagine like if this movie was financed through proper channels, the way the movies normally are made, there would be 20 less monsters. Mm-hmm. It would probably just be like PG and then Pandora the villain, like at most. And it would be way more of just family stuff. It would settle on the like initial high concept of little girl controls big psycho monster. And it would just be be like the most bare bones version of that instead of going off into weird directions uh, like the movie does. Because, yeah, it would be a case of like constantly revising the script and people giving their two cents and trying to like mold it into a thing that's palatable palatable um and not a thing that's interesting because it's not what you expect it to be oh yeah that's the weird thing is like they everybody wants you to make a thing that's like other things that's they want you to make a thing that's familiar but they also somehow want it to be new and exciting but they don't want anything new and exciting (laughs) so it's yeah it's a fun battle to have to navigate which is why i like uh making my own stuff and working in the low budget sphere like it's tough for me as like I I grow older, it gets harder and harder to like make all the monsters myself and like stay up late shooting inserts on my own. Like it's it's really punishing work getting a movie like this made, something that's this ambitious. But if the alternative is making a thing that I'm not proud of, mm-hmm. it's like I, I would rather just I'll I'll just sit in my apartment and make my stop motion animations, and at least I'm making the thing that I want to make, right? So. Speaking about those uh, periphery monsters, do you have a a favorite character-wise and a favorite design-wise? That's a tough call, because I like all of them. <laughs> I mean, they're all fun, and they're all toys that I would buy, though. <laughs> totally. Like, especially if I was a kid, like, that was my whole intention with all the designs, was, like, make a thing that if 10-year-old Steve is at Walmart and sees a bunch of toys on the shelf, which ones would he buy? And so trying to tailor designs to that. Though I will say that the one design, while I do love it and think it's awesome, I deliberately gave him some kind of like lame attributes to be like <laughs> the toy that was all left on the shelf. <laughs> uh, and that was that was Cassius 3000, which is a character that I love. And I kind of feel like he, he steered away from being the lame toy pretty quickly, uh, especially once he got his like bird, his mechanical bird on his shoulder. <laughs> but like with his weird like gold toga and like fur shoulder pad, like there's just so many things that I feel like if I was a kid and I saw that on a shelf. It's like, I don't want that. I don't want that robot with the mustache. That's weird. Like, <laughs> but he comes with a bird. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, but then I'd be like, oh, but he's got a robot talking bird. That's cool. <laughs> but yeah, I, I wanted to deliberately have one of the guys be like the lame one, even <laughs> though I feel like I failed a little bit at that because he's pretty awesome. But uh, if I had to pick a favorite, I don't know. Death Trapper's pretty great. Like the big trash can full of body parts. Yes! <laughs> like so impractical. Um, in that he like accomplishes nothing. Like, he literally like, blood at people, which doesn't do anything. Uh, it's like he just like cleans up the battlefield at the end. Like, you guys go life. on ahead. You just go ahead. I got a stew to make. But uh, visually, I really like him because I feel like he encapsulates kind of 
what I like doing with creature design, which is like taking a, a very simple object and like kind of giving it a face and giving it a personality um, in the way that like uh, the, what's it, the gonk droid from Star Wars, the like trash can oh, sure. guy yeah. that's just like a little thing in like a big box. Yeah. Like it's a, it should be such a forgettable design, but it's so charming because <laughs> yes. the yes. little, little bit of personality he displays with his little walk is like super cute and charming. And so that was an approach I had with all the creatures was like, I'm not setting out to make these hyper realistic or make them like super mobile. Um, but I want them to in their static form to have personality and what little bit of movement they do to be specific to that character and iconic and have sound design that informs the character as well. So when you see them, even if it's like a brief period of time, you'll still remember the like, bug-eyed witch lady that speaks Japanese like to remember that um, I love her because it's like she's pretty awesome uh I feel like all of them could have their own movie oh yeah if I could do like an expanded universe type thing they all get their own I mean, 10 and 12 year old <laughs> yeah yeah exactly they all have a gem that controls them I mean that's not a bad idea um so yeah it was like with all the creature design it was all about uh like simple iconic designs that were eye-catching that would last like in your imagination even if they're only on screen for a little bit i really hate uh like in modern design of creatures and robots and things the attitude seems to be make it more complicated Mm. and it's i think there's like a balance you need to strike where like yeah complex stuff can be cool but to your eye when you're seeing it in motion it doesn't mean anything like you might as well just be looking at a tornado going by <laughs> and it's like well no that's optimus prime and it's like well i can't tell because yes. <laughs> i just see a bunch of bits swirling around in front of me and so i think there's like a, d- a design process from like the i mean up to i guess the mid-2000s of keeping things simple and iconic that i wanted to harken back to and it's a design style that I feel like uh, like Japanese creature design is very much informed by. It's all about bold colors and iconic looks and not really being about practicality. Function. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, it's like kind of bringing like anime to life. I was just thinking about like be- them being uncomplicated anyway. Like it almost seems more real having it like that. Like you- they talk about like, the trash can uh, robot in Star Wars. Like this thing actually looks like it does something. Like when you have an Optimus Prime, it's like, why does he have to look so good? Like, it doesn't necessarily make any sense. Yeah. Do you have a can opener in there? Yeah, I mean, there is something charming about like mundane practicality to a thing. And I think like Star Wars robots do that really well, really well, where they feel like they serve a purpose in this universe and they're like weathered and they're like, they feel like they've lived a life, I think is also important. Like I didn't want anything to feel brand new. I always wanted to feel like it had just like all these creatures had just finished another adventure and shown up in this movie, uh, which is an important component. And that's that's also a thing I feel like in modern movies. It's like everything feels like it's like fresh off like fresh off the robot truck, the yes. alien truck, where they're all brand new, shiny. And yeah, like, oh, I want, yeah. I want stuff that's like beat up and 
only half working properly. Yeah, it's um, it's so weird that that's almost yeah, like a subgenre because people people point to Alien all the time, like, oh, this looks old and used, and like they've been here for a long like time. Like the ship looks like they actually use it, <laughs> and everybody seems to appreciate it, but nobody does it anymore. Like we like oh, the, all the early '80s dirty sci-fi stuff, like everything's clean now. Or like they try to do it. Like I guess the new Star Wars movies do it a bit. Well, or they do it a lot, but it almost like still doesn't really land in the way that it should. Because it's Disney dirt. Just... <laughs> Disney dirt isn't well, dirty. <laughs> and also it's like shot at such like high resolution now that it's like everything looks brand new. I wish some media was, I don't know, just only available in VHS. I know it's crazy to say, but no. like. There was something to be said for watching a movie that you had trouble looking at. <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry, my dog is trying to get up again. That's okay. I, just... I agree with that decision. Yeah. I was going to say, I had to just like dart across the room a half a second ago because the laptop wasn't plugged in. The laptop recording this interview. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, he's here. He's cute. Uh, yeah. What was the question? <laughs> um, I don't know if there was dog. necessarily a question. Yeah, the, <laughs> so but uh, but you were talking about special effects, and uh, you you do that yourself. Is that the impression I'm getting? Uh, I do prosthetic and creature effects. Uh, so that was the thing that, like, when I first started making movies, I developed a passion for, and uh, decided like, oh, if I'm going to make want to be involved in movies, I should pick a stream and stick to it. Like I felt like just being like, I'm going to be a director wasn't super realistic. Mm. Uh, so I started doing makeup effects. Uh, I took the Dick Smith professional makeup effects course. And yeah, I worked in Winnipeg for a few years, like apprenticed under Doug Morrow, a uh, prosthetics artist that does a lot of shows out there. Then I moved to Toronto. And since then I've just been working here ever since. And so I alternate between directing films and projects and TV and uh, doing creature effects. So that's what I'm doing right now. Uh, I'm over at Masters Effects Toronto uh, working on Umbrella Academy Season 3 and The Boys Season 3. Oh, oh cool. fun. It's like the Steven Soderbergh route, except it's you're working on this project to pay for your own independent thing. No, that's really what it is. Like, yeah. alternating stuff that pays the bills and stuff that's like passion projects. Like, Leprechaun Returns basically paid for me to be able to make pg like i basically just lived off of that uh director's fee while i was doing in that movie and now like i did a few episodes of day the dead the series last year and so you know the money from that will probably go towards some other project as well so yeah it's fun to be able to jump around and do stuff to pay the bills and some stuff (laughs) growling at (laughs) after something I've got a, I've got like a gizmo up on the shelf, and I think he's like, I'm gonna get that gizmo. <laughs> <laughs> that gizmo is for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I just go back and forth between directing and uh, doing makeup effects, and I find pretty creatively satisfying being able to do both. Be able to be an employee on a show and just kind of like do what I'm told and make monsters and prosthetics, and then sometimes be the boss and tell other people how to make <laughs> monsters. So yeah. That makes so much sense, Pretty though, for, for Psycho Gorman, because if you didn't have the visual capacity to make all of those creatures and make Psycho Gorman, like, the movie wouldn't be the same. Oh, yeah. No, like, if I had no experience in practical effects, like, this movie never would have happened. Because I built a good chunk of it myself, because we couldn't afford to hire people for yeah. the whole show. <laughs> so, 
lot of like building things late at night and in some cases building it and then later that night shooting it in front of a green screen so yeah i think uh my practical effects skills were put to full use and really pushed to their limits on this project because there's just so much stuff to make and no time to build any of it yeah and it, it really helps sell the like the tone of the movie too. It really looks like a movie that you would have pulled off the video store shelf, 1993. Like this is direct to video, but it's got like a huge practical effects budget. I don't know. This is like my new favorite thing. Yeah, there's like a sticker on this. that's like nine different monsters. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, it would have a sticker like advertising the soundtrack or whatever, like, <laughs> featuring a rap song, Little Caesar. Yeah, then that's definitely speaking to an era that I miss very much and uh, wanted to try to bring back with this movie. Do you have, uh, like, do you remember, is there a movie or a few movies that you, like, you just constantly rented over and over? Because I, I have a feeling, like, every video store kid did that. And it's like, why didn't we just try and convince our parents to buy it? Because it would yeah. have been cheaper. <laughs> I mean, not till like, oh, my dad is being a pirate, but <laughs> what he would do, two vcrs and he would copy movies so we'd rent them and then he'd dub tapes and record on sp or whatever and have two movies per tape and so i definitely wore the hell out of our uh, tape that had robot jocks on us which was <laughs> one of my favorite movies did. and then when we actually moved a vcr into the basement that i could use on my own and just watch movies as much as i wanted i watched mortal kombat annihilation obsessively oh yeah uh it's like one of those movies that's like so clunky and awkward in its execution. That's actually kind of a great film school, like just watching it and obsessing over how the effects are done. Cause you can see like matte lines and things. And you can <laughs> tell when they're CG going into miniatures and like bad composites and stuff. So I used to love just watching scenes from that movie over and over again, just to kind of like figure out like how movies were made. So yeah, those were two big ones for me as a kid. Yeah, my brother and I used to used to reenact scenes from Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat Annihilation, especially that scene where, like, what's that guy's name with, like, the six arms? Anyway, Goro. He, Goro, there we go. Yeah, he gets kicked off a cliff, and it's like we would just, like, be on a chair. <laughs> the other kid would be standing on a on the top of the couch, and we would just try and mimic the, the look of yeah. him falling down the cliff. The first Mortal Kombat is one of my favorite movies, purely because I had such a good theatrical experience as a kid going to see it, and I kind of use that as my like benchmark of theatrical experiences which i know is crazy to say when there's so many far better movies out there but like for nine-year-old steve like it just hit all the right buttons i distinctly remember sitting in the theater the lights going down the new line cinema logo coming up and the mortal Kombat theme like kicking in like oh, immediately yeah. and just being like all right i'm on board you got <laughs> and so now every time I see a movie, I'm like hoping for, I'm like chasing that high and I never get it. So I, I feel like that that feeling is another thing that I was trying to instill into PG uh, to a certain extent. It was just that like kind of anthemic, almost like feeling like you're at a concert sometimes. Oh, yeah. like, like the movie Highlander does it really well, uh, which I mean, when you have a Queen soundtrack, that makes it pretty easy to make your movie feel like a concert. But. Yeah, it was something I like gave our a note I gave to our composers very early on. It was like I want this movie to like have a real rocking vibe that if this was a concert, like you'd be like whipping the crowd up into a frenzy. So it was like something they approached a lot of the music with was just giving it just that kind of anthemic quality 
that I feel like these movies need to have to really work. Yeah, no, this movie rocks. And I, I, I know for a fact, like, this is going to be, like, at least people I know personally and people I interact with online, it's going to be, like, their new favorite Friday night movie. And also Saturday morning movie. <laughs> like, that's the thing. Like, this could really go well with a early morning watch with, like, a bowl of cereal or late night with, like, a whole case of beer. And popcorn. And oh, popcorn. Totally. Um, real quick, before we let you go, what's your dream drive-in double feature? Uh, uh, the one that I came up with that I would really like to see is a double bill of Big Trouble in Little China. Oh yeah, and Creep Show. Ooh, uh, I feel like they are fun, uh, like crowd-pleasing movies uh, that also just have a lot of stuff happening in them. Which for me, like a drive-in movie, can't be too. Don't want to say intellectual, but like I don't want I don't want to be watching like The Shining at a drive-in. Mm. I think it needs to be something. A little more with a little more energy and a more spectacle to it um and i feel like both those movies are super fun and just straddle the line, genre lines uh fairly well um and just are good time and would be fun to watch it a drive-in cool yeah. yeah and you'd get a full house with that definitely absolutely <laughs> oh for sure <laughs> Thank you again to writer-director Stephen Kostansky for taking the time to talk to us today on the podcast. PG Psycho Goreman is available beginning January 22nd in select theaters and VOD platforms. If you're a fan of Nightmare on Film Street, get even more cool, freaky shit at nofspodcast.com slash fiendclub. This Friday, if you're listening to this when the episode drops, we are having a horror trivia night with our Fiend Club fiends. It is 8 p.m. Eastern. We're going to do some trivia. We've got some fun clips pulled. It's going to be a blast. That is at nofspodcast.com slash fiendclub. But until next time, I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive, but we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website at nofspodcast.com. And while you're at it, check out all of the other spine-tingling shows on the bloody, disgusting podcast network. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.